Stay there, stay there, stay there, stay there. <laughs> because I didn't tell you before, so. <laughs> I thought it was a bit rude, but it was not meant to be a stay there to you people that are listening. It was meant to stay there to my guest of this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Broom Wagon podcast. You will not get there on a road bike again with you in a normal kind of planning and timing and traditionally episode, because today we're going to go into a deep talk with somebody that I really like a lot. And yeah, I can disclose this straight away. I'm talking about Ryan Legarak, amazing artist, director, photographer, writer, everything around stories on the bike. I love actually his bike because we rode together in Spain a few, probably a couple of months ago already now. And on his bike is Richie. I think it was the Swiss cross There was the sticker. My bike is my office because all his stories are coming directly on the bike. And that's amazing. What do you think? Well, people, thanks a lot for being here. Remember, you can support this podcast down below. Coffee link. You are going to see whatever is there around. You can link and now you can link you can click on the link i can link you can click on the link and drop me some coins because that's something that i would really appreciate another thing that i appreciate and it's completely for free you can go and uh, uh, subscribe to this podcast uh, apple podcast or spotify is perfect also even a google podcast or spreaker and push the bell button so you're gonna actually be notified every time that the new episode is out and what else you can also share this episode to your people because everybody's gonna love it then another thing that you can do it's really appreciated is just comment or rate this podcast and instagram you can go to the broomwagon podcast or broomwagon podcast and calamaro cc and there just follow me or just drop me any feedback of everything you would like to hear in the next episode there are a lot of things that i'm planning a lot of things that are doing actually the day after tomorrow i'm going to eurobike to uh, record an episode with an amazing you're gonna know about that follow me on instagram you're gonna know what i'm talking about the last thing, another thing, it's a bit promotional because it's a side project of mine. I mean, it's a, I have too many side projects and too many things that I have to talk about. But anyways, another project of mine down below, zierbrewing.com. If you live in Switzerland for now, pretty soon all over the world, Zier Brewing is just an alcohol-free beer meant to be important and really part of the community of the outdoor explorer. Everybody will think would follow this podcast. It's exactly my community. Alcohol-free beer with a taste of a super good IPA. The name of the beer, the first batch is called Zipa or Zipa because this is a zier, not a beer. It's tasty. It has its own personality. Let's put it in this way. So down below, you're going to find the link to zierbrewing.com. And if you want, and if you live in Switzerland, you can just buy. Otherwise, send me a message. I'm going to actually arrange a couple of cans for you as well. Ryan Legarek. I would define Ryan a friend of mine because we worked a lot in a couple of projects together with him and Josh, Josh Shibet, you heard about him, <laughs> a bit of 
quite a bit in the late in the last couple of episodes, uh, maybe seven. Um, but yeah, we worked in a project specifically uh, together with Ryan, and then we started talking a lot, and we understood that we have a lot of things in common. And uh, then we were talking about having this podcast and this chat for a long time. At a certain point, he was releasing his film, is the easiest crossing in the world. He was releasing it. We, I also gave him a couple of feedback for a bit of feedback. Yeah, more than a couple of feedback. It's not really English. A bit of feedback um, about his film. He didn't need my feedback at all. But I mean, then he put everything together. He released it, and he released it together with this amazing article on Ruler. And then when we met in Aragon, we said, okay, we need to make an episode around it. We actually made the episode. We made it a few weeks ago, and it was not only about the film. It was not only about cycling. It was not only about Ryan, but it was around the world that and the community, but more the world that we like to be in. And it's a word that talks about feelings, exploration, discovering, never being bored in life. Well, it's time to start. Ryan, the broom wagon is yours. Let's do, let me, let me do just one clap here. Can you hear me clap? If I clap, can, is it, is it on your side too, right? Okay. I think because I think then it's all linked. Okay. All right. Perfect. After a lot of clapping, <laughs> I'm super happy because I'm here with somebody that, I mean, I'm going to go super smooth and super direct by saying I'm here with a friend and I'm so honored to have on the podcast today a guy that actually we talked a lot before, but then we met finally a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago in Aragon, and uh, we had this thing in mind forever, and now actually yeah. it's happening. I mean, Ryan, it's so cool to have you here in the podcast. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's uh, it's just super amazing. I mean, uh, let's start from the beginning, actually. Maybe yeah. it's a good... Uh, starting from the beginning is always a good place to start. I think I followed you, and I saw the first things from you. It was... It was... It was Tugende, probably. Your film in Rwanda. Yeah. That's the first time that I got... I saw also a lot of your films about a bit more the bike messenger scene and everything like that. But probably Tugende was the start of everything. And then we got a couple of, uh, of chats in the meantime. Then we got a little project together that was actually Josh making a mess with his uh, video. No, only <laughs> audio. Only sending voice memos during the during the trip in Morocco. No, it was not the trip in Morocco. It was actually the Atlas Mountain race. race. It was a race. And then we worked a bit on the video that you did together. Fortunately, I saved a bit of the audio of his camera. So he made a bit of a mess that time, Josh. And then we <laughs> met in Aragon. And now we are here recording. And I would say, I mean, I was saying that actually I was honored and I'm still honored and I will be honored for the full time here and also in the future, because I mean, I think that actually your films and your photos are really pieces of art, nothing less and nothing more than that, because um, the vibes, your point of view, your angle on things, your bikepacking ideas, your philosophy and your opinions are quite I mean, a breath of fresh air in this world. Uh, so that's why we're going to talk about all these things today. And I'm so happy of having you here. I, I hope my uh, I hope my wife will hear this because uh, uh, she thinks that my work is just guys in spandex. And that's the limit of it. <laughs> but at a so, certain uh, point, I think we have to get rid of all these spandex, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. I just started actually doing that. Like, um, 
I just started uh, riding without a spandex the other day on my uh, Brooks uh, B17 and I was like, shit, it actually works. And it opened up a new world to me. Uh, like, oh, I can, I can feel the air everywhere. Yeah. It was really fun. It was really fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, we need to stop doing it. And actually, I like actually your style. Usually you're riding just with a t-shirt, don't you? So most of the time, cotton t-shirts. That's nice. Yeah, like um, I, I, I do use jerseys sometimes, but I, I've realized after like a few months of riding with jerseys that the aero gains were not really that beneficial for me. It mm. didn't matter that much. I was not faster or slower uh, with a jersey or a cotton t-shirt so I was just like more relaxed and then yeah like I find like sometimes it, it makes it easier like just you you get off the bike like touring somewhere you go into a, a restaurant and, and and you're not like really really cyclist you're just like one part cyclist and then the upper part is like still all right yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah so let's say uh, that actually it's uh, cycling on the bottom and party on the, on the top. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I still remember when I saw it the first time done by someone else. It was like Lachlan Morton and Gus Morton. And I was like, "Hi, oh, guys, like I'm there with you. <laughs> and it was like, okay, now we can do it. It's actually become cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to start doing it as well. Start <laughs> using shorts as well, only <laughs> bibs and chamois at the bottom and then at the top, just a t-shirt. Yeah. I love bibs though. Yeah, I yeah. It's that, they're comfortable. Bibs. On the bike, yeah. nothing is better. I mean, I know all this philosophy, yeah, I don't use chamois, chamois are pro, pro, we are doing things loosely. Yeah, but I don't like actually to ride 100 kilometers just on my ass. It's no, not yeah, comfortable. it's a nice feeling. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm wrapped like a present. Yeah, exactly. I'm a superhero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll never be. We'll never be. <laughs> Ryan, we have been rambling around, but give us yeah. an intro about you. Ah uh, no no! Let me do that. Whoa. Let me make a mess okay. with your name and surname, Ryan Legarec. Oh, that's nice. That's sounds good. sounds sexier than in French. Yes, it's Italian. It's it, yeah, man. <laughs> the Italian do everything better, from like cars to shoes to food to bikes to. I would not shout it so much. I have some French people listening to that. I don't know if everybody agrees that food in Italy is better than in France. I, it's funny you mentioned I have a friend who's here visiting from Italy and he was asking me like Ryan Ryan tell me something do you like food which one is the best for you and I was like dude French French cuisine and he was like die die che cazzo voi and I was like I can't say anything else I was like I prefer Italian food but I just don't think it's got the same you know like um, I don't know how to say and he's like yeah you just know pasta and pizza and I was like no I'm a tremenzini and then he slapped me in the face and we had an argument and he started talking about Materazzi being a great guy and, uh, and we uh, left then football and then everything <laughs> is over yeah il calcio and I was like he, uh, he was like yeah you support the French team and I'm like no I don't really support any team I always support the team that's losing on the pitch <laughs> but anyways yeah that's uh yeah more rambling there <laughs> <laughs> give us an intro uh um, better who are you <laughs> who am i oh man i've been asking this to people my whole life and putting them in the spot when i when i was working in tv and everybody would always say like this is a fucked up question uh well i'm ryan i'm uh i'm a dad uh i'm a husband i'm uh 
what am I? Uh, I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. Uh, I, I come from a family that is like uh, working in TV. Uh, my dad is a war reporter. Uh, my mom, news producer. Uh, my uncle is a news anchor. My cousins are uh, journalists. Some are war journalists. Others are like politics journalists. And I was always like kind of like uh, the loose canoe of the family. Like uh, they used to call me the artist when I was a kid. Um, but I always wanted to like do something that had to do with films. Uh, I just didn't know exactly what. I thought I wanted to be a filmmaker in Hollywood. Then I grew up and I was like, no, I want to be like my dad. Uh, I want to be a war reporter and go where it matters. And then my dad spent like the next maybe seven years of my childhood like convincing me not to be a war reporter, saying that it's uh, it, it, it's just yeah not something that he wanted me to do. Uh, and then he tried to convince me not to make films, not to make photography, because yeah, yeah, I sucked at it. I was like, um, I, I, my first memories as a as a photographer or filmmaker or whatever is my dad telling me, "You're wasting film, kid. You're wasting film. Like, stop it, stop <laughs> it. It's a useless, useless thing you're doing." And then he would always say, "Like, it's not a job. It, it's, a, it's a, it's something that is about to disappear soon. People will just." do things with their phone. It was in the 80s he was saying that. So, soon people will do things with their phones and Crazy. that would be it. Yeah, he, he, he could foresee the end of like uh, image journalism. But he was wrong. Like It's not completely true, but it is in, in part. So yeah, who am I? Um, I, I was uh, born in London. My, my dad is French and my mom is Tunisian. They met in their uh, late teens almost. So my dad, actually, my dad met my uh, mom in Tunisia and my mom was uh, a minor at the time. Obviously Muslim, uh, Christian dad, a Muslim mom. Uh, I, they made me like nothing. Uh, they said like, you'll have time to choose your own religion. And my mom had to like leave her family uh, and sort of like disappear from Tunisia uh, in order to be with my dad. So they moved to... Uh, London, where my dad was like a correspondent for the French TV and they had a baby there. And then uh, my dad moved uh, to America, to Los Angeles, where he was also a correspondent for the French TV. And we spent three years there and then we came back. So I, I have a hard time with the notion of home. And I think it defines a lot who I am, like uh, somebody who doesn't really have roots and who doesn't really know where he belongs. Uh, so eventually, uh, it ends up uh, being the perfect cocktail to be on the road and, and to enjoy the, the life on the road, which is, uh, which is where I feel at home. So at a certain point, then your dad was telling you, stop uh, shooting, whatever, you are yeah. wasting yeah. film or whatever. Yeah. But then you did it anyways. Uh, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm stubborn. Like, that's my dad's side. We're from Brittany. And everybody says that uh, people from Brittany in France are very, very stubborn. And it's true. Uh, like, and I, I just, yeah, I just couldn't stop. It was just, I was fascinated by cameras since, since I was like, I don't know. Well, we always want to do what our parents do. Uh, my daughter wants to win the Tour de France because she thinks that when I go to a race or something, I actually win. <laughs> I have a hard time taking that away from her brain. So I'm still letting her uh, bathe into that <laughs> admiration for daddy winning races. <laughs> okay. Uh, she obviously has never seen a race on TV. Um, but um, 
Yeah, so I, 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 yeah, I just, but then it's, it's stuck. It was not like just imitating my dad. Then I went to like do things that were a little bit less uh, journalist uh, focused. And I, I, I just kept at it. Like when, when, when you go to high school in France, you can choose a specialty and it's very rare, but you have like some art specialties in some schools uh, in France. And I chose uh, cinema. Okay. So I like from the age of 15, I was actually trained uh, to be uh, making uh, work in the cinema area in, in, in France and so in high school. And then I uh, went to like even university, cinema university. I tried that, didn't really work out for me. I spent more time in the, in the cinema than in the, than the uh, university. And then went, I moved to Belgium and I tried school didn't really work out. I did uh, three months in uh, photo school because uh, there was no more room in the uh, film school. Then they were like, hey, there's an opening. You can jump into the film school midway. I jumped into the film school and I got kind of like kicked out of the school because I was just fucking up with film. Yeah, like um, I think I was not wasting film anymore uh, in, a, in a funny way because it was like, uh, okay, you've got this you got to make 12 shots and i would come back and i would be like i have 136 Ooh. shots <laughs> and then they were like oh fuck you and then they were like okay hey you're gonna love this exercise it's the end of the year exercise it's the most important uh you can do 46 shots this time and i was like okay great yeah and i came back with 400 shots oh my god <laughs> and like some kind of like experimental music video with contemporary dancer in a in a rundown factory and I was like, but this, this, this is inspired by what you gave me. And uh, I just like, I just freaked out. Once they gave me like a Bolex camera. So the Bolex is like this little camera and you put film in it. It was just like, if I make those 12 shots of that stupid exercise, I'm actually wasting film here. Like I'm actually doing what my dad told me not to do. And I just went crazy. Like I went and I made like a... The, the 12 shots was supposed to be like this kind of like people moving an object through town. It's, it's like, it's, it's a too big object. And I was, I was so bored by the idea. I did the whole uh, scripting and, and, and doing the storyboarding uh, with pictures and stuff. And I had like good grade for that. And I was like, okay, I've done that. They have that. And then I, I freaked out. I was like, they gave me the camera just before Christmas. I went to Paris for the holidays and I spent like, the most of the holidays with a homeless guy uh filming him during the 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 christmas period because i thought it was like yeah an interesting thing to film uh and a good story uh how like how how a homeless guy completely on his own a little bit crazy goes through that and i did an experimental film that they ditched and then it was the same so i was i was forced to leave the school then i was like okay well maybe film school is a little bit too uh, classical for me, I'll go to art school. And the funny thing is that my editor, uh, teacher, uh, in, in the film school, he was an amazing guy who worked in Belgium in documentary and stuff. And he was probably the, the or to me, he was the coolest, uh, and to a lot of students actually, the coolest teacher. And he came to me and he was like, Ryan, like, you just glued 136 shots in like four hours when everybody's been like doing 12. And, uh, so how did you do? And I explained, yeah, well, I, I pre-cut them at home. And then I just had to glue. And he was like, but how did you do your timing? How did you do your rhythm? And I was like, I counted the images. And he was like looking at me like Rain Man, like, you know, like I counted the images, counted the images. I knew like, that's like one second and a half. Nah, 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 nah. 
And he was like, okay, cool. All right. I'm going to have to give you a very bad grade, but I want you to know that like, it's just politics of the school. Like, I think what you did is really fun. And uh, I'm happy to see that you had fun. And I'm happy to see that you obviously don't give a shit about anything else than having fun and, and the medium. So, you know, like a little encouragement, a little tap on the back. And then at the end of the year, he came to me again and he was like, all right, so like 400 cuts on the music by counting shots. And I was like, yes. He was like, how did you choose the song? And I was like, I chose, I chose a song that I could count the images to. I knew uh, it's a song uh, by uh, uh, P.G. Harvey and Tommy Hawk. It's like this mess we're in. And the, like the, the, the chorus comes at 45 seconds. And then the next verse is at like one minute. And then the middle eight is at like 1.30. Everything is like, you, 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 can, you cannot get the, the rhythm by counting images, because that's really hard. You'd have to know really like, I mean, there you'd have to be a musician and I'm shit at that. Okay. But I could know when things change in the song. So I was like, I assume like if I, if I make like really fast cuts, it will be in the rhythm. Somehow, like the eye is, is not educated to see uh, the rhythm in fast cuts. Like you, you feel like it's on the music. It's absolutely not. It's just, it's just pure luck. And I had that. I knew that. I knew that this could work because I had tried it at home. And then I was like, okay, so I can play, place it on that. So I explained that to him and he was like, look, there are some schools in Scandinavia, you know, like they might, they might understand what you're trying to do, but here you're just going to like, so I went to art school yeah, okay, <laughs> thinking like, well, it's a bit too strict film school. It's a bit, but I, I didn't want to learn film. Okay. It was so funny. Like I, I, I did everything to learn something that I was just like, every time somebody tried to teach it to me, I was like, my son is now like some, when I tried to teach him something, I was like, I don't like your way. Your way is just super like, it's the way that like you've learned from other people and other people have learned from other people. And it's like, I respect film history and I've, I've studied that and I, I do understand the, the importance of watching what's been done before and trying to like get familiar with like amazing director like Orson Welles, Elia Kazan, uh, you know, the Russian uh, propaganda, all, all of that, the, 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 the Nouvelle Vague in France. It's, it's beautiful. It's super interesting. But none of those guys have actually repeated anything they've seen. Absolutely. So I was like, and then I wanted to learn uh, how you manipulate the audience. I wanted to learn what colors do, what shapes do, how you frame so that people, it's, and, and in the end, I was like, well, they're not teaching you that. They're teaching you the safe way to put three shots together and make a living in, in TV doing shit. So I was like, okay, that sucks. I'm going to go to art school. And then it was the complete opposite. I was in art school. Uh, you could like, uh, you, you couldn't get out of your head enough. It was like, like everything was like, and my girlfriend with whom I had moved from Paris to Brussels was in an amazing uh, contemporary dance school. The best contemporary dance school in the world is, is in Brussels. It's run by uh, Anne-Thérèse de Kirschmaker, who's like an amazing choreographer. And in her school, it was all about concepts. Uh, you know, it was just arty, but it was also like very nerdy and very, very thoughtful. And they, there was just this room for like somebody who was making videos and pictures because everybody needed that in the school and nobody was doing it. And so I got there, my girlfriend was there. And everybody needed me to do a video, a picture, something. So I ended up like working a lot in that school. 
And I ended up leaving Belgium to go to Sweden to work for a, a contemporary dance troupe. Nice. And that is a super long answer to a question I don't even remember. No, <laughs> I don't know. Me neither. Me neither. Actually, <laughs> I, I think that actually I wanted to ask you two or three more questions in the meantime, yeah. but actually you answered to them all. That's uh, it. We ran out of time. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, uh, that's absolutely perfect. I really like actually uh, the flow that you got in order to arrive where you are now. Because the point that I wanted to make here really quickly, I like your take when you were saying, yes, the thing that usually they teach you are things to stay on the safe side. And yeah. while probably at that time when you were studying, I mean, not so long, uh, so long ago, at the, end, at the end of the day, we are more or less the same age. But at that yeah. time, actually, um, studying film was basically getting some knowledge, of course, uh, to be appealable for TV. Yeah. Now, so any, any, at the end, it's still pleasing the eye of the watcher, but still to be on the rules of TV. Now it's even different because now you don't have to appeal anymore only to TV. And in this case, maybe there the main rule is uh, being appealing for advertising because that's what happens. Now it's actually something different. Now you have to be appealing for a machine, an algorithm first, and then to the audience. What's your take about that? I mean, do you find it, um, how do you find actually, because I know a lot of people, for example, that are professional YouTubers and they know a lot about, ah, okay, your video should be of this length, it needs to have this cut, needs to have this hook at the beginning, needs to have this story in the middle, you have to solve the, um, the conflict at the end and blah, blah, blah. What's yeah. your take on that now? Uh, because I, I, will, I asked already this question uh, to Finley. Uh, yeah. Newmark, first episode of this season where we talked yeah. also about you. And yeah. I asked this question to him and my take was, I mean, how do you feel now in, where everything is more or less the same, but it's even more the same than before because now you have to appeal to an algorithm. Now, actually, you can do your own way and you can do your own things, but the risk is that you're going to be online, of course, but you're going to be online, but nobody is going to check at you. But on the other yeah. side, don't, you don't want to sell completely I'm not going to use this kind of metaphor. You don't want actually to give away all your art just because you want to be appealing for to a machine. I mean, for me, it's a bit puzzling, I have to say. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like I, It's like uh, the, the way I see it, like you have a, a platform that, that actually doesn't um, give you any feedback or rules of what you should do. And I think that's great. I think that like the uh, YouTube, the fact that, you know, it doesn't give a shit. Like whatever you do, if you if you want to post it, you can. So whatever kind of filmmaker wants to make a film and wants to release it in some way can. Whether it's going to, yeah, get like eaten, digested and shot somewhere by the by the algorithm or uh, processed, digested and 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 uh rediffused and 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 pushed by the algorithm yeah it's 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 a trick i i uh i wish i knew uh sometimes the tricks uh i've heard a few i just i just can't be bothered caring about it i just like even on instagram like you know, I tried putting hashtags and I was like, oh my God, what are you doing? Like, you know, when you put like 75 hashtags, you're like, oh, come on. Like, are you begging for a like and attention? It's not going to change anything. So I I do thoroughly love uh, Instagram as the, I can 
put pictures and I can add a bit of text because I love to do that. Of course, it's part of my job. I love putting videos out. I just I just like those tools that they they're just there at your fingertips. I don't like the the algorithm system. I don't like the way that indeed like a lot of uh, vlogs or uh, Instagram profiles and stories kind of tend to look a bit the same. But at the same time, I think that this is the place that also gives the most freedom. And so the 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 biggest biggest possibility for like new emerging directors, like you know, somebody like Finley comes out on 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 socials, and I don't find like he's so much playing the game as much as being talented and having something to say. When I see what they did with Boru, I'm just like touched. Um, yeah, you know, when I, so I'm like, I, I'm super positive about it. And um, yeah, so no, I don't know. I don't really have a strong opinion against or for. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's like, it's like everything, you know. I remember my dad once told me like, uh, <clears throat> I was like, yeah, you know, we're trying to avoid my son being on screens. And he was like, well, yeah, yeah, I understand. You know, when I was a kid, it was the TV. Like people were scared that like kids like spend half an hour on TV and their brain is eaten. And then he was like, but for my grand, for my father, it was like books. Like his parents were scared that he was spending too much time on books. So it's always scary. It's always like, but then again, like it's like when you look at the new generations, you know, okay, there's a rate of depression from socials, but they're they're also super super woke, super clever, super yeah. interesting. I I met like I met like whenever I meet like younger people. Uh, and also in our scene in, in the second scene, I'm like, damn, like they're clever. I was I was a dumbass at their age. Like I was like, oh, I'm making films. Oh. I wasn't like you know. When I met Finley, he was 21. It's crazy he, how young he is. He, yeah. yeah, and and I was like, I I spent hours talking with him. I still write to him like whatever he tells me. I'm like, ah, oh, that's a good advice. And he's he's half my age, and I'm like, damn, this new generation, they they're like. They're clever. They're they're good. So and they deal with socials much better than we do. I, I think our generation is the one that has the hardest time. Absolutely. Like, in a funny because way. we are in the middle. I mean, we are not confident because we know that actually we are running behind the new generation. Yeah. We know already that we think that we are better than the older generation, but actually yeah. we care about being different from them. I mean, new generation yeah. don't care about being different from everybody. They are just themselves. And old generation as well. They just do their own yeah. thing. They don't care. We are yeah. in the middle. Yeah, 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 and 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 we often say like, uh, yeah, we're the last generation that uh, uh, didn't wear a helmet on the back at the age of six, and uh, you know, TV was a big deal, and uh, we didn't have it. We saw the birth of internet, uh, yeah, but we're also the generation that got really stuck in it, that really, uh, yeah, got really stuck in it, and 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 the new generations, they're like, it's there. And so I think they're more chill about it. They're like, yeah, it's there. Okay, all right. Then they go a little bit. And then you hear like so many kids are now on Instagram, Facebook. I mean, Facebook is like a dinosaur now for mm. them. They're like, so yeah. So yeah. that's that's my vague opinion about it. I love actually because you bring me back all the time to a bit of a neutral point of view when we're having this conversation. We were exactly <laughs> the scene where we were also dying, uh, having dinner and... Um, in Aragon, at a certain point, I don't remember what was the conversation, but at least two out of three conversations were, Stefan, come on, chill. Because anyways, here, here, we, are, we don't want to act like the grumpy old people that are complaining <laughs> about everything. There are a lot of good points. And actually, this is another good point that 
you're putting back on the into the conversation. Yes, you're right. I mean, my complaint is a bit. I mean, too, once is a bit too classic. Second is a bit too grumpy, and third is actually too ba too basic. So yeah, now no, you, have to hyper, the, uh, you have to please the algorithm. But on the other side, there was never a place before where you could post whatever exactly. came into your mind yeah. and see somebody yeah. can see it. So the yeah. exposure is way bigger than before, and that's completely yeah. true. But and it's a double-edged thought. Like um, you couldn't get a, a gig like when when I started like to get a gig in TV or or, or in film in general was super hard. You couldn't just release something on YouTube. Uh, so if you wanted to do something remotely different, you had to like you had to really hang on to it, and you had to really like you know like. I mean, I started with my dad telling me you're wasting film, but then it was like teachers telling me you're wasting film or like, you know, I had teachers who were like, oh, if you want to film toilets, like, you know, go to the art, con contemporary art school or whatever. And, and, and it was really hard. And, and okay, so now you can actually do it uh, much faster, but it's also a bad thing because then like everybody is like, I'm going to make films, I'm going to make a vlog. And it's like, ah, like to, to join you on the grumpy side, I also have this. Then I'm like, some people just like get a camera and they go and they're like, yeah, they put three filters and AI editing, some, you know, free copyrights music with like a hip hop beat and it kind of looks all right. And then they add slow motion or something or they film in slow motion. And it's, it's kind of all right, but it's like, mm. It's just, it, you're like, if I'm a grumpy old man, I'd be like, dude, like, you know, you're doing what people have been doing for a hundred years with cameras. And for a hundred years, they were actually having to pay to use a camera. They were actually having to justify every shot before it goes to the lab. And you're just pissing on that. So yeah, I have also a bit of a other side of me, which is like, well, not everybody is, uh, you know, Finley Newmark and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and there's a lot of people pissing on film in a way. And like, I find sometimes that it's a bit sad, like, you know, but again, it's YouTube. I don't have to watch it. Absolutely. That's a great thing. I'm not force fed on TV. TV was much more uh, disastrous because it was like, it, 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 you, you had to watch that. If you didn't watch TV, what could you watch? So it was like, you watch shitty Hollywood films and there, that's your education. If you, if you didn't, you know, it was, it was, it was also, yeah, it's yeah. also. No, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a super great point. So, I mean, let's, uh, I don't want to get stuck so much here. So let's move a bit forward <laughs> yeah. because I think we can go forever on that. Anyway, something that I'm, I'm going to say, just hi, Finley. I mean, we've been talking about you a lot. So, I mean, we love you. Uh, <laughs> let's yeah. move forward on that. <laughs> and Mikael, something like a break by saying we love you, Finley. He, let's move yeah. forward. You owe me coffee in Girona, Finley. Tell you us never the story. Got that coffee. Tell us the story. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Uh, no, 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 no. Like we, we, we met, like I, I had just arrived uh, in Girona and I'm like sitting at a terrace and it's like, I see three cyclists and the third cyclist is feeling. I'm like, oh, 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 and, and, and then we're like, okay, we catch up this weekend. And it was a tracker. So, uh, and then the only time we, we, we caught up, we both had a camera and it was like, we couldn't really, you know, take it easy. And we were like, yeah, let's have a coffee later. Yeah. Right. So, but it never happened. It never happened. But, That's uh, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> it was so happen. good to it's do It was so good to see his face. Yeah. So we were saying then to move a tiny bit forward. I mean, it's pretty clear 
your take on films and uh, photography and cinematography is a tiny bit different as also your expression, your take and uh, let's say your, your angle on another thing. And I want to know how this thing bumped into your life. I'm talking about cycling. Tell me more about Ryan ah, cycling. cycling in your life. And then we're going to talk about your point of view of cycling because that's ah, actually okay. what merges everything there on Ryan. Ah, okay. Uh, cycling, Kim, um, it's, it's a cute story. Um, my wife, it used to not be my wife, but my girlfriend. And uh, she's the, the hardest person uh, to make a gift to. Right? I've, I've made two gifts uh, to my wife in 10 years that she likes. Uh, the second one is a scarf from uh, Kenya. And the first one was when we were uh, boyfriend and girlfriend in Brussels. I got her a bike. I didn't have a bike. I had a bike for a little while and then it got stolen. And I didn't really bother, you know, I said, okay, whatever. Like, yeah, tramways, subways, uh, walking. Um, also, Brussels is a smaller city than, than, than Paris, so it, was, it wasn't that hard. Anyways, I got her that bike and she freaked out. Uh, she just was so happy. Everywhere I would meet her, I'd be late, she'd be early. I'd be grumpy arriving there and feeling like I smell of like transports and subway. And, and, and she'd be like smelling this very light sweat <laughs> and oxygen and freshness and her eyes would be shiny. And, and, and every time, it's almost like every time I met her, and she would come by back. She'd almost say first, thank you. Like, I had a great time coming. And I was like, oh, damn, I need to get one of these. And then that's how I, that's how I got my first bike. I mean, not my first bike, but my first bike as, a, as an adult in a way. Uh, and it started with commuting uh, around um, Brussels in Belgium. And, uh, and it was just like so liberating. It was like so much fun. And then I fell even more in love uh, with bikes. Um, when I got a fixie, uh, it was the hype of fixie at the time. Um, and I was like, oh, let me try that. And, uh, and I tried it and I had a massive crash downhill, like really uh, almost like whatever. Uh, but I was like, oh, I'm hooked. I love those bikes. And, uh, and, and then the way I fell even more in love, uh, it's really like a climbing, uh, climax love story with bikes. It's like, I took that bike back home to Paris, um, thinking like, oh, what the hell, I'm going to try riding in Paris, which sounded like dreadful. I was like, this is going to be tough, man. And actually, Paris was way easier than Brussels. And I was like, really having fun. And then I was like, completely rediscovering spending time uh, in, in, in Paris. Like, it was so much better. Everything was just so much better. Like, going to meet a friend, he's on the other side of town. You're not like, thinking, oh, which book or which magazine can I read in that amazingly long amount of time on the subway? No, you're just like cruising through the city. It's golden hour. You're seeing all those neighborhoods. And it's just like, you're like, ah, oh, you know, it's like, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah. Oh. And then uh, I started like being a bit more interested in bikes and I was working in TV and I, I was uh, working on a magazine uh, kind of show where we, like I was was basically I had this kind of wild card like where I could do like portraits about whoever I wanted. Uh, so it was like, you know, like like uh, 
Radiohead's drummer comes in town and he's got an album solo. Oh yeah, fuck, I want to meet that guy. Okay, I'll do that. And then like this Japanese chef is doing the best steak in town. And I'm like, I'm hungry. I'll film that. Or like uh, Amos Oz, a writer from Israel or... Uh, or like bands that I knew from before from working in music they, when they were coming and be like you know like whether it be uh, Damien uh, Rice or Lamb or Glenn Hansard from Ireland like I'd be like damn I'm gonna hook up and you know I'd just make a make a little report on that anyways I got into uh, looking at the fixie trend and like bike messengers and there was one bike messenger in Brussels that was like really charismatic and everybody knew this guy it's like this tall pro-looking Finnish guy, uh, half Finnish, half German. And he, he had the best outfit I've ever seen on the back. Like, you know, like kind of like black shorts on top of like leg warmers and like this like light uh, wind jacket and like this bag with a holster with a phone and then this other pouch on the And he just looked like a ninja skyscraper kind of. And then he had the most amazing accent when he talked and everybody was like kind of drawn. And there was a film coming out, uh, Brussels Express, where he was featured, heavily featured in it. It was about the traffic in, in, in Brussels. I and saw then, it. Amazing film. Oh, no way. Well, okay. All right, so you, you like the... Like I, so I, I, I knew the filmmaker. Um, I, uh, and I, I told the filmmaker, like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make something about your film and the release and, and just get me with, with, with Karaman, Carl. You know, like, just I want to interview him. I was like, okay, cool. You get to interview him many times. He's a nice dude. I was like, yeah, I just don't dare talking to him like that in the street. Anyways, he hooked me up. I interviewed uh, Karma, and, and, and Karma at the end was like, at the end of the interview, he was like, eh, how much time uh, you work uh, during the week? Like, uh, you know, I was like, well, it depends, you know, like freelance, like TV, like, you know, three, four, five big days. It, dip- it really depends. And then he was like, okay, how about you, you try this job? bike messenger and i was like wow like because i was dreaming of it like I, I had looked at it and i had like done like some rides for my girlfriend at the time like she needed a package to go from there to there and i was like yeah i'll do it and i was like pretending to be a messenger anyways so that's how i really fell in love with cycling like that's the biggest adventure i've ever had on the bike so is, basically is... you dropped your job in tv or you no, no, in... no 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 i was i was full on tv but I had enough free time that I could take like one or two days as a messenger. And it was, it, it's the best job I ever had. It's, it's the, there's nothing compares to the job of a bike messenger, to the life of a bike messenger. It's, it's, yeah, it's hard. You know, you, you, you shit the street, you eat the street, you smoke the street, you like, you take the weather in your face, no matter what kind of weather you have. But it's also the biggest fun I've ever had in the job. And that's how I really fell in love with cycling. That was, that was that was the that was where the where where I understood the bike was giving me more joy than anything else in my life. Like films, were like or TV or whatever, photography, nothing compared to cycling. And then slowly, uh, then then it was my girlfriend's turn to get me a bike, I guess, and she got me a geared bike uh, with advice, I think, from Karma or something. And then she got me a bike with like like gears and it was like whoa what is this that's amazing and then it was like karma took me to uh, my first uh, road ride uh, my first proper sunday ride which was like uh, a rainy 100k to uh, Gerasbergen to the mur and he was like 
that's going to be a proper initiation for you. Uh, if you like that, then you're done with cycling. And he, he took great pride in taking me on those cobbles under the rain and, and, and seeing me like with the back wheel sleeping. And, and then he was like, okay, now you're, you're a true, uh, you're a true cyclist in, 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 in Flanders. You, you, you can, uh, you can have that. And then I just fell in love more and more with cycling. And then distance came a bit later, but it was just, yeah, it was just the, the progression. I've never been into like being fast. I've never been into um, aero gains or like FTP or, or all those things, but I've always been into like, yeah, the open road, spending time on the bike, letting your thoughts float around, discovering new places. And then, it, then the addiction, became like crossing borders it was like wow crossing borders was just like that's so uh, cool isn't it yeah crossing borders just, with yeah. the bike yeah it's like you left home and you went to another country and then you came back and it's like it's crazy and more and more and more and then I, I i i saw this thing i remember the first time i heard about the transcontinental riscata was saying there is this uh, super stupid thing that people do it's called transcontinental we're gonna ride on sunday with a guy who's like preparing for it but uh, it's okay it's his uh it's his recovery, right? So we'll take him with us. And I was like, what? what is that transcontinental? Is that a train? And he was like, no, no, no. It's a race. Like you you race through the whole Europe and you never stop. And it's stupid. If you ask me, it's stupid. And then and I was like, <laughs> oh. if you ask me, that sounds kind of sexy. And uh, and then I met that guy who was doing transcontinental. And he was like, yeah, you should, you should totally do that. You, you'd love that. He was seeing that I was writing... I was pushing like to like 150, 200, 250, and then I did a 300 kilometer ride. And I think that's when he told me that, I think you're like, you should maybe think about doing something like the transcontinental. And then I did the transcontinental and that's another step of like falling in love. When like was another, it? Uh, 2018. Okay. Not uh, so long ago, I mean. No, exactly. And that, that, when I came back from transcontinental, then I was like, okay, I'm going to ditch my job in TV, right? Because I wanna. At that time, you were living in Brussels still. Yeah, okay. yeah. I was I was super happy in the TV. Like I had an amazing job. I could meet anyone I wanted to meet. Mm. It was like I interviewed Bill Gates and 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 uh, you know and 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 Phil Selway, Radiohead's drummer, mm. or like some filmmakers, uh, some yeah, amazing artists, and, and and also like you know taxi drivers and refugees and and and. and yeah, like cab drivers, pizza, yolos, and like, like I, I, I started knowing Brussels like really like the back of my hand because I knew the shortcut as a messenger, and then I knew the people who owned the shop because I was also like filming like when there's a new shop. Like, I knew the people who own the art galleries. I knew the chef in like so many restaurants. So like Brussels was like I was becoming almost a Brusseler, mm -hmm. like almost like a kid from the from the town, like. Uh, although I was an expat and, 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 and the worst kind of expat, like a Parisian, uh, <laughs> which, is like, which is like the worst kind of people in, in, in Brussels or in the world in general. So it's, it's always hard. But yeah, no, I, I, I fell deeply in love after the transcontinental. I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. Like, and, and what fascinated me mostly about this kind of cycling was how it altered people's lives. Like I, I would meet a lot of people in the bikepacking scene at the time. I think at the time, bikepacking races were not as competitive as today. I think you had a field of like maybe five or ten guys were racing. The rest were like on an adventure, on a trip. But what I, what I noticed is that a lot of people would come back from these races completely changed. 
Yeah. And they would take their life back into control and be like, hey, you know what? I hate this job. Or, you know what? I hate this town. And they would just change it. They, they wouldn't like procrastinate about it and ruminate about it. They would just be like, hey, I don't like my job. Actually, I want to work with wood. Fuck this shit. I've had saddle sores for like two weeks. I've been dehydrated. I hiked a bike or whatever. I can I can do that. This is just normal life. I can change that. And I loved it. I thought, I thought, okay, that's a very useful thing, very useful message for the rest of the world almost. Like I felt like it was kind of like a mission almost. I was like, I have to talk about that. This is this is important. And uh, and yeah, and I decided like it happened by accident. At the same time, Restrap had seen like pictures I had posted and they were like, hey, can you can you put some pictures together for us? And I was like, yeah, cool. And then they were like, can you write some words with it? And I was like, yeah, cool. And then I, they were like 300 words they asked. And then I, I, I did like the film school trick. I came up with like 2,000 words instead of 300. I mean, 300 <laughs> is probably the most difficult. It happens to me as well. 300 it's words true. is the most difficult thing that you can do. I mean, less than 1,000, forget about me. Yeah. it's like well i i have something to say do you mind <laughs> I, I had i had a bit of an experience like 300 words is the title and uh yeah i wrote this article i, I think it was called uh, life is a bitch and then tcr <laughs> and uh, the the subline was like 15 days of screaming in the wind and it, 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 it was finishing with like the 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 list of 52 mistakes i did on the on my first uh ultra distance race <laughs> and the list was actually not 52 but 63 mistakes and uh and as i was writing it and like seeing the pictures and stuff with it and i i remember going in the kitchen and was it my girlfriend no she was my wife now and i told sarah like oh man like i think that would be a great gig you know i go on adventures and i just tell that story and she looked at me and she was like oh boy he's gone again and <laughs> and i was like yeah that would be amazing and then i kind of let it sleep a bit in my head it was like the seed was there but i just you know i mean i, I was also conscious that it's not so much that i had safety and comfort at tv i, mean, I had a great job and i i had started in a show that was very normal and we had completely transformed it into this wow. like way more documentary filmmaking style we were not doing interviews anymore we were like we were we were doing like no voiceover anymore it was like we were like properly moving into a bbc documentary in short short formats and i was i was very proud of that i was very happy with it but this this bike thing was just it was growing and then I was a bike messenger a little bit, then uh, I got married, you know, then my, my, my son was born. And somehow, I don't know how it happened, I stopped being a bike messenger. And at that point, I was like, oh, I miss it. And then I decided to spend a few days, I had this kind of like, kind of a blog, but it was not really a blog that I was doing. And I followed my friend Karma. And I followed him for like three days and took a lot of pictures and wrote a few impressions. And then I was there with this with this blog post and I decided like, oh shit, I should send it to the Radivist. I think it was already the Radivist or maybe it was still probably is not probably. No, no, it was the Radivist. It was the Radivist, I think. 20, it was the Radivist after already. After 2018, yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it since it's probably since like I was a fixie writer and we were just looking at, at his website, like yeah. drooling on everything. And to my surprise, he answered back and he said like, send me the piece there. And I sent the piece and then he was like, yeah, I'll take it. 
and if you have anything else just send it and huge i'm i'm super grateful to to the Radavis because it's a it's a super cool website and at the time like it was so hard uh, to break out in this world i had like Absolutely. like okay we strapped published my article but nobody gave a shit about me like really no one i i had tried way less prestigious places because I, w- I i i wouldn't see myself as like worthy of the right of this at the time and nobody ever replied anything and then john was just like this warm nice gentleman who was like yeah that's nice man like Keep at it. Like, send me more if you have. I'll, I'll take a look, and then grew like a collaboration with him. And 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 I'll never, I'll never thank him enough. Like, he, he, for me, he started everything because from there I could actually gain like some kind of street cred and mm. gain access to like races or things like that because people were like, "That's Ryan. He he works for the Radavist. Oh, okay, all right, okay, the Radavist. Yeah, cool. And and so that's yeah, that's how it started. And the f- films came a bit later films came a bit later so everything started with writing and then what about the film i mean maybe uh, let me kick in yeah. to that and uh, yeah i will start with that i don't know if it was one of one of your first project filming and cycling and everything together but then quite fascinating about your series the fail right yeah it was this one actually the thing that got you into uh, filming and cycling it was something before it no yeah it's actually something right before it was uh during the pandemic i had like obviously like everyone else in the in the film or in the media world i had like much less work and i uh i was yeah i was trying to stay creative and i was doing like a series of pictures from lockdown from home like you know Mm -hmm. picturing like very rare people on the streets and stuff like that and and then for myself, picturing the kids and and like, and Lion uh, Van Leuven, uh, the photographer, uh, he, she was also in this podcast. Yeah, Leanne. she reached, yeah, yeah. she reached, she, she she so she has shift cycling culture, which is like so good. Yeah, and she reached out to me uh, and she said, "Hey Ryan, like, would you want to do like one of our uh, series of uh, filmmakers filming their rights?" And I was like. Uh, okay and i was like i looked at at what she meant and it was like all those amazing tiny videos with like drone shots and stuff and i wrote back to lion and i said lion i, I can't do that like, i don't have a drone and she was like i don't give a fuck about a drone <laughs> i mean she doesn't talk like that i shouldn't exactly like she that. doesn't swear she's, she's way more she's, polite than us she's very polite uh, but uh, she was like no i don't care like you know do it the way you want so i had I had this little camera uh, that I had gotten and I didn't know why I had gotten it, but just I thought it was cool, this little gimbal uh, Osmo Pocket from uh, from DJI. And I started just filming my rides. Like uh, I had moved out of Lisboa. We were living in a, in a small village. I had a countryside at my door. I had the very good idea of uh, when I started my company in, uh, in Portugal to involve cycling as a part of my profession. And so I was legally allowed to go out and cycle nice. during lockdowns. I could show up a paper that said, I'm a professional cyclist. <laughs> and uh, because my company pays me to ride a bike and then do everything else that That's actually I can dream. do. Yeah, that was like, I, I had done that in the, in, in the, not really knowing why. 
And so I started filming my rides and then I added pictures and I did a little editing of it. And I didn't think much of it. Um, I didn't mind that I would film myself because I was just so frustrated at not filming anything. Uh, and I had like, I had suffocated my kids, I think with, uh, with cameras. So I was like happy to even film myself, which is something I hate to do. Uh, I hate to see myself on picture or hear myself. In, but uh, I, she released it. And, and then the, the funny thing was that I got feedback from like friends who never gave me any feedback on, on what I've done in cycling or, or, yeah, in cycling, like people that I worked with in TV or people that I worked in, in like musician friends, uh, any kind of like friends that are just friends, you know, but that don't give a shit about all my cycling uh, obsession. They saw that and they were like, wow, that was cool. I liked it. And then that, that, that really encouraged me to do more of that. And I felt like, okay, if they say something that I can allow myself to do that. And uh, so I did a little bit more of that. And then it, it turned it, 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 it turned into like, it was 12 hours of Albion. It was like the Orbit 360. So it was like a mix of like pictures, text, and a little bit of video. And that was for the Radavis most of the time. 12 hours of Albion was just because it was there and I had time to do it. Uh, 12 hours of May, sorry, by Albion. And... Uh, and it became... Yeah, that is uh, happening right now as well. I mean, the 12 yeah, hours yeah, yeah, uh, of yeah, May yeah, yeah. is happening it's, right now. I need to yeah, dig a bit right deeper now. into the concert because it seems like good. Yeah. I mean, the concert is just go out and ride for It's just you have hours. to be outside for 12 hours. You can ride half an hour if you want. That's nice. Yeah, you just have to be outside. That's the trick. I think it's going to happen uh, for me next weekend. But then, yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, Sorry, uh, I interrupted you. Uh, no, 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 no. Please do, please do. No, but uh, yeah, so it beca it became the fail completely, like sort of organically. It became the fail. Like suddenly, I did. What's the concept behind it, Ryan? The concept behind well, the fail. The, the uh, okay, so the concept like that also uh, developed itself a bit on the go. It was very organic. Uh, I didn't push for it, but uh, it, then it became something that would get to become a little bit more obsessive. Anyways, the concept of the fail was to uh, film myself launching uh, my sorias on stupid rides that would involve a little bit too much riding in some ways and or that would involve slightly pushing a bit further than, than I would on a Sunday ride, basically. Uh, even though I am attracted by long distance, it was always like... So the first was like, for instance... These 200k rides in the mountains with this amount of elevation, it's a set kind of like challenge uh, in Portugal and you can do that. And then the idea was like to film myself doing that as honestly as possible, thinking uh, maybe somebody can see that and say, hell, if he can do it, I can do it. And so that's the main idea. The main idea is that like not, not everybody who does long rides uh, looks like uh, Wood Van Aert. Uh, not everybody who has a huge amount of fun on cycling, you know, has to be extremely fit for that. Or like, I was also fed up with like, kind of the image of cycling. Once you once you once you dive a bit deep in cycling, it's like there's a an awful lot of fit people, and uh, you look at them, and if you're not fit, you, you suddenly you kind of feel the urge of stopping cycling in some ways. You're like, I'm gonna go back to like commuting or bike polo or something where I don't feel like completely out of place. So I was also like, it might be nice to actually show, 
show yourself, take a, take a stance and say like, hey, you know, it's all right. Uh, which I, I'm, I'm over with that aspect of it. I'm kind of like, it's okay. Now there's a lot of people doing it. There's a lot of people talking. That you know, there's been old bodies on bike from the girls in America, which is amazing. There's that boat cyclist, the Emily Chappell who talks about. It. There's a lot of people who talk about it. I don't, I don't feel the need to anymore. Uh, but at the time, I was like, yeah, like I remember, like that. I was telling brands because brands came to 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 sponsor this and to help it, and I was like, yeah, you know, the whole idea is like to show somebody who doesn't look like Wood Van Aert, but who actually looks like your target market, because the largest portion of your target market looks more like me than they look like Wood Van Aert. And the ones who look like Wood Van Aert usually already get stuff for free. Absolutely. So, you know, I can, I can represent that. And so that, that, that's, the, that's originally the concept of the fail. I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm a bit, you know, like, I, uh, I'm kind of like bored with it now. I'm like, now the fail is just a good excuse to like go on a long bike ride. And I'm much more interested into the fail being an excuse to go, uh, especially meet friends. Like, uh, like I'm doing the last one about our trip to Border Bash again. Um, I think that's, all that's left from the original concept is that I didn't get fitter. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and that it's uh, it's totally about non-competitive cycling. Uh, and it and yeah, it's about meeting people. I think that the, the bike has this amazing uh, superpower that it makes you meet a crazy amount of different people, whether they're cyclists or just random people on the road, whether they're like from your niche of like bikepacking or they're from like super hardcore gravel racing or they're, uh, yeah, or they're just, you know, from a different social class. I've met, uh, I've, through cycling, I have hung out, like I remember on, on one of the fair and I didn't film it, which is also annoying is I most of the magic moments, I never filmed them, but I remember hanging out with millionaires Crazy. And my first thing was like, we were sitting next to each other on the terrace and I, I was stinking. I looked like shit. And everybody around was like fancy people. And I had ended up by mistake there, by accident. However, they were checking out my bike and soon enough, they started talking to me. And soon enough, they were like, we're cyclists too. We're going for a ride tomorrow morning. Would you care to come with us? Oh, nice. Yeah. And they were like millionaires, like crazy rich and great way of like from so different worlds and we got along so well and it was just three hours in which we were like just mates on bikes and it was like that's these kinds of things like how how cycling can get you to meet a random person at the gas station i think josh is the person that i know that says it the best like we look vulnerable and therefore like people are more keen on talking with us than they would talk at the gas station where we smell and sting. They're more keen on talking with us than they would talk to somebody who drives an SUV and wears a suit. Mm-hmm. They will talk to us, they won't talk to him. And 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 I find that's like this whole trail magic thing. It, it happens the moment you leave your house and you're vulnerable on your bike and people know that like, you have all your stuff on the bike and you might sleep in a ditch. Magic starts happening and you meet amazing people and you make great friends on the road. And, and, and so that's that's what I want the field to focus on from now on. The non-competitive and the socially uh, rewarding uh, uh, aspect of cycling. 
I mean, it's, uh, you're exactly playing my music. It's exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> Try to do uh, most of the time and all the concerts. I, I also can understand completely the getting over. Um, the thing is that even if we are not, I mean, I'm on the other side. That's why also if I am not fit enough, actually people are going to listen to me anyways and everything because, I mean, just faking being fit or starving, struggling, living, yeah. uh, completely kill your life and maybe your soul in order to get fit, in order to fit into cycling, it's not exactly the, the narrative that we like to to have. And it still is music for my ears there. We are playing the same music because um, I love the concept that you are saying that actually while cycling you meet a lot of people because yeah. you talk with a lot of people and other people are riding and all people are trying to help you. But also on the other side, I mean, that's something that you need to consider, especially when you're doing long trips on the bike. But just in the in your Sunday ride, um, you suffer. I mean, you're in a situation where you need to adapt yourself from the different situation and everything. And this makes yourself vulnerable, not only at the eyes of people, but also at your own eyes. And then yeah. you are also way keener on uh, talking with anybody as well because you can understand yeah. also the other struggles and that's yeah. exactly the um, the bridge that i want to uh, to build here between yeah. actually the fail and also the film that they think at that time is going to be already out and visible yeah. to everybody i'm talking about uh wait a second i don't want to make a mess the easiest crossing in the world there yeah. you tell i mean there you you adapt your narrative uh, to an amazing story that is not usual, I think, actually, into your film. Uh, no. Because, I mean, you're not talking only about cycling, you're not talking only about, you're not shooting only yourself, it's not only yourself talking and showing around the landscape, but there is another story, and it's a story of vulnerability, isn't it? Yes. It's, uh, so it's, it, it, it's not part of the fail series. It's, uh, it, was a, it was a completely different project. Uh, it's yeah it's very much about like the the state of mind that like you get in when you're when you're completely uh when you start getting a bit tired and, and disconnected from from touring it, it it came for me after two weeks on the road and 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 in morocco i uh i experienced the the most beautiful side of morocco the, the atlas mountain uh you know i met with uh, josh uh, Ibet in uh, in marrakesh for like new year's eve we had a party it was great then we went into the mountains. It was amazing. It was gorgeous. Uh, and um, Josh made a route for me, and then we, we, we split it. And I, I made a bit of my route. I mean, I mean, I made the route he gave me, and it was amazing. We met a few days later. We had a nice dinner. It was amazing. And suddenly, or slowly, I mean, the, the the trip starts like working on you, and you get a bit more tired, and you get a bit more vulnerable. And then I got out of the mountains, and I literally went down, and I literally went for a descent, where like the tiredness and the level of getting lost I got in, which was intentional. I had always planned, I go in the mountains, and then on the way back home, I get lost. Um, it just fucked me up a bit, because... I ended up in, in like, I'm, I'm overselling it now. People are going to expect like terrible accidents and crazy stories. It's not that. It's just like I was vulnerable and I saw um, more poverty in Morocco than I've ever seen anywhere. Uh, and I've traveled a fair bit. And I mean, except for America, I think I've seen like almost more poverty in America than anywhere else in the world. But like in, exactly. in Morocco, it was just shocking. And it was, uh, I was, I was too, 
skin alive and too tired and too vulnerable and too uh, permeable and it just went through me and then I was like you know crossing those like fields of garbage I didn't film that most of the hardcore stuff I didn't even film I don't like to film you know people uh, struggling or like junkies or like um, especially if I'm traveling because like when I was a kid and I did it about homeless people I would spend a lot of time with them before even getting my camera out it was like it was I would establish a relationship because I hated shooting people I, I thought that the term shooting was already meaning so much like you're shooting somebody and if it's like you're homeless or somebody who's vulnerable you want to take your time uh, before you start shooting because that's a it's a nasty kind of act you know it's like the african see it uh, sometimes it's stealing the soul and and i think if you yeah if you pay attention you, you, yeah. you so anyways i didn't i didn't pull out the camera in the worst moments but i i, I went through like all the, and they were just affecting me more and more and i just didn't have the the yeah, the the form, the strength, and the and the shield to deal with them. I was it was just getting through me, and at some point I was like, okay, I gotta escape. So I was like, I'm gonna jump on the bus, and then the rest is history. Like on the bus, it was just like, I was like, great, I made a great choice. And then I met some people, and uh, especially one kid who who told me his story, and then it was just like, okay, I, there's no way I'm getting out of it, and I just have to accept that this is it like you know this is real traveling this is not like uh, a fucking tourist postcard of 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 morocco and the beautiful morocco and you know the coast and the nice mountains it's it's what it is it's a, it's a land that is crossed by 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 migrants it's a, it's a land that has like a, an incredible corruption it's a land that has like incredible poverty it's a land that is like extremely welcoming but also extremely poor at the same time and it's very easy uh, to avoid that and to not see that when you go. It's I think it's uh, it's again one of the things that that cycling is amazing for is that you can easily get off the beaten track and you can easily get to the real uh, truth of a place. But in that case, that was that was that was a little bit of a shock. And then the the yeah the idea was that I had gone for that, so I just I just got it. You know, I got what I was set for, uh, was my intention. And uh, and I'm very happy um, that the film takes this turn because I think that, yeah, it's it's not a cycling film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, 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 the biggest uh, or the scariest feedback I could get from someone was like from, uh, from Gus, uh, Gus Morton, uh, who I really admire uh, since a long time. And... Uh, and I asked Gus, like, yeah, what do you think? And he was like, he liked the fact, he liked everything that was non-cycling. He was like, man, like, it's, uh, you can take off all the cycling shots now. <laughs> and I was like, fuck off, man. <laughs> it's still, it's still filmed from the back. It's going to be really hard. But, uh, <laughs> but that gave me, that gave me hope. And then uh, the, the funny thing is that uh, I, I, I kind of didn't manage to do anything with the story. Like, it's almost like nobody really wanted it. I knew that I could I could put it on the writer list, but I also knew I wanted the film to go somewhere, or you know, I I, I and yeah, like for like months I was like, okay, all right. And then I had sent it to Hula, and then they came and they were like, and that's and I'm not talking about the film. I'm talking about the article with them, which is which is maybe almost more important to me than than mm-hmm. the film itself. Um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a, 
that was outside of the field definitely it was, yeah. yeah i mean yes that's um listening about your story now today here seems like kind of uh really the evolution something that brought you from somewhere to somewhere else and fortunately the bike was involved as well but it's not only about the bike uh it's yeah. uh, about actually the bike as a tool to make things and to discover new things and actually to discover it's quite basic what i'm saying but actually discover something about yourself but at the end of the day yeah. yourself was always there right yeah. i mean you were telling me about at the beginning of this uh, recording uh, about yourself uh, already filming and spending time with homeless and doing these yeah. things or talking with uh, discovering the um, the landscape and the situation in a different way and being vulnerable and having the feeling of being absorbing whatever that the word is giving to you and that's exactly what the word gave you back so yeah. this story and actually probably this development of yourself that was all these things together so yeah. getting really in front of a situation that is not normal to have knowing of course that you were going in morocco super beautiful country but also with some other nuances there and uh, that's what exactly what happened and uh, yeah. that's why the evolution of the story and that's why the evolution of the film yeah the and then the shock like was like realizing that like um this kid i was sitting next to in the bus he was he, he was traveling <laughs> he was trying to cross yeah the the country which is what i was doing we were doing both the same thing in a way we're going up north uh, uh i'm going to europe and he's trying to go to europe yeah absolutely and for me, it's going to be the easiest crossing in the world. Absolutely. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to jump on that ferry and that's it. And I jump on the ferry. And I, I had this idea when I, when I started the trip that I, I, I was like, oh, it's a, it was 12 euros more to be in premium. And I knew that in premium, you could eat like those donuts and have those coffees for free. I mean, for 12 euros more. And I was like, well, I'm going to kill that. You know, I'm going to rentabilize that 12 euros in about like, 30 minutes after having done like 500 kilometers to get to the ferry on the first leg and then probably a thousand two hundred on, on the second leg i eat all those donuts but there i was after meeting this kid and i was like on that ferry and i was like looking at my donuts and my coffees and it was just so shocking how easy it was and i i i, I know that it sounds cliche People see migrants on the TV. They see the awful pictures. They're like, yeah, yeah I feel, you know, I feel for them. And, and, and so do I. Uh, I come from a family of news reporters who usually don't see the pictures. They make them. So they, they, they know exactly how it is on the field too. Uh, although my dad always says it's very easy behind a camera. You have this filter between you and reality that actually takes you off and takes you out of reality. But anyways, um, to be confronted to it firsthand um, during that trip and to be like tired at that moment and susceptible and like and like quite fragile but to be next to this kid who like in this moment of his life he's like 16 years old he is positive he is smiling he is strong and he's telling you the worst shit that ever happened to somebody and he's like yeah it's complicated it's not like, yeah, man, it's fucked up. The world is shit. No, he's like, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I'm going to be a professional football player one day. Or 
if I don't fuck it, I'd be a good car mechanic or whatever I do, you know, I'd be a king back home when I can do that. And I will be able to like help my family. I will be able to like reach a better life and get away from that man who used to beat me up and get away from those people who make me work for shit money that sometimes they don't even give me at the end of the week and I sleep in a fucking camp. And you're like, whoa, okay, all right. And then you're like sitting there in the ferry with your donuts and I lost it. I was like, whoa, like how much more privileged can I fucking be? You know what? I actually have the privilege of being dirty uh, for a living almost and, and, and discovering the world. And, and yeah, that was, that was a great wake up call of like how, uh, yeah, how privileged we are. And I, I, I always think I know it, but then I, I, I find that sometimes putting your head like really like forcing your head into it, like, you know, like, like if somebody was pushing your head in a, in a plate, uh, kind of like is a, it's a healthy thing to do. Uh, to remember and, and to cherish. Like there's been two things for me the end of last year that have done that to me and in the end and the beginning. It was to see my kids real sick, like freaking sick, and to meet Uma. Those two things made me realize that nothing really matters in my life. Like, you know, job comes, job doesn't come, you know. Uh, bike ride is hard, bike ride is not hard. Uh, camera works, camera doesn't work. You know, it's all bullshit. So at the end of the yeah. day, like, it's all bushy. It's all, it's all, like somebody said once to me, like, uh, 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 how do you say that? Yeah, no, nothing is, nothing is, uh, in French, it's like grave, like rien n'est grave, tout est sérieux. It means like nothing is that bad, but everything is serious. Like you should, you should pay attention to every detail. Absolutely. But, it, but nothing really matters in the end. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, that's the, that's the story of the crossing, and that's also the story of the title, like why why it's called the easiest crossing in the world. Because like I've I've heard people say like that's a weird title, and I'm like yeah, except if you watch the whole film in in the world, in, if you watch the whole film, you you can get it. But it's a uh, yeah, it's a bit. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, actually, you can see that everything comes together together with yeah. the title, where we can read and where we can watch the so where we can read the article. Sorry, where we can read the so, story and where we can watch the film. So the article is on uh, is in the last edition of Huller, the Soul edition, uh, and the film will be uh, will be released really soon. Uh, it uh, I think it will be on bikepacking.com uh, first, but it will be definitely on, on, on YouTube and and obviously for free and and, uh, and and yeah, easy access. That's uh, super easy. Then just we have to look for your name and surname, Ryan Legare, yeah, yeah, on YouTube, yeah. and we're gonna find everything that yeah, we talked about, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, most of it. I'm more on Vimeo somehow because oh, that's true. I'm retro, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and I always liked Vimeo, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm linking YouTube now too. Yeah. Okay, that's perfect. Anyways, just I think that just by googling your name, you can find a lot, yeah, of, yeah. A lot of things. Ryan, I have the last question for our talk. And yeah. uh, is, uh, let's see, something like staring a bit more at the future. What's next? I mean, in terms of adventures, what's next in terms of production? What's next in terms of uh, whatever makes you happy? What's next? Uh, I wish I knew, man. I have no <laughs> idea, actually. That's what Sto I thought. Story of my life. Um, uh, story of my life. I have no idea. That's perfect. I, I, I don't know. I don't have, if I have to think of it, but I don't think I have any one 
confluent project at the moment. You know, like a few ideas and serendipity is going to be the answer, I guess. Like we'll see what happens and hopefully it's nice, but I have no idea. And, and, and yeah. And that's the way. I mean, that's the way that you're doing, basically. The yeah. you can do the things, right? I mean, something like a new trip is gonna come, and uh, a new trip is gonna be done, and some photos are gonna come as well, and uh, yeah, and probably a film. So that's nice. Yeah, I wish I wish I knew my whole year ahead, but I've I've never had that luxury in my life. And then whenever whenever like there's like yeah, it's not. I mean. My next project is a it's a film shoot from north to south in uh, in Portugal with a with a touring agency. It's called Live Love Ride, and they they do those holidays for people that like to ride bikes. And there's a group of ten people who are gonna like, probably meet and become best friends on the way. And, and, that's, and nice. that's probably the story. Yeah, that's probably the story I'm gonna film. And uh, and that's the next project. But after that, I have no clue. Um, I hope I, I keep doing the, the film. I hope I rebrand it or rename it at some point if I can. Because I'm, I'm really tired of the title. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah. It's a strong it's like, title. I mean, you have to keep up with it. Fail. It's kind of a statement. Yeah. Well, yeah, fail if you have to. Like, it's like, it's like uh, there's so many good quotes about it too. I, I was like, I should, I should work on it with the algorithm because like there's quotes from Michael Jordan, Albert Einstein, from like oh, so yeah. many people. Yeah, so many people mention that failure is just a necessity in life. Like you'll never do anything good if you didn't fail at some point. Like uh, like uh, I like you know, I, I wasted film for yeah. a long time and I think I still do waste a lot of film. I still I think we fail all the time and like but it's just like, it's 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 so nice if you accept it. Absolutely. If you accept that like every time I've done a film, I've always had the same feeling, like especially in, in, in more scripted films or like TV or it was like, if I could start it again right now, it would be so much better. <laughs> and, and I always thought like, there you go, you failed, but you learned something because if you did the same thing exactly the same now, it'd be like, and then, so yeah, so like, yeah. Like, you know, I, my first long ride was like the Transcontinental. Obviously I failed halfway and well, I'm, that's still the best thing that ever happened in the way. You didn't finish it. No, I didn't finish it. I have a lot of good excuses for that. But I love the excuses. Tell me two of them. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I slipped the disc in my in my backpack two weeks before the start. Ah. I was I was laying down for like ten days before the start. Then okay. I was walking walking with my son, who was like two or three years old at the time, to the park, which is like fifty meters away from our apartment in Brussels. And I would stop at every bench for like five minutes to rest because my back was just killing me. So I start, I, I started transcontinental like that. Like I couldn't, like at the start, you have to stand for a long time, you know, like you stand there on, on, on the Asbergen uh, square. And I was just like sitting, holding my bike because I was like, I cannot stand for more than 10 minutes. But on the bike, I was fine. And then halfway through, I got tired of it. Uh, and I felt like my back was like, sort of like it felt like something's gonna happen and i had passed this beautiful place in bruno in uh in Czechy, and like i crossed the polish border and i went like this is it i had it i had it it's it's i'm on the i, I was like way behind the the, the, the deadlines of the checkpoints or the curfews or whatever and I had my wife at home with my son and my wife was pregnant. So I was like, I think it's time to stop now. Okay. It's two, 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 two weeks to do half the transcontinental is, 
is enough. Like your holiday is over. And then I went, I, and then I, I, I rode from Bruno to Vienna. And then from Vienna, I, I took a train back home or something. And it was oh, the nice. beginning of, of hell. Like after, after two weeks bikepacking, like taking a train is just too much headaches. Oh, I can imagine. And also yeah. too much uh, back pain as well. No, well, actually, it was, I was over. At that I, point, I, it was I, over. I was no, but like I, I had a little pain coming in, and I, and I got really scared, and I was like, I just was like, oh man, I'm gonna be stuck in Poland with a back pain, and I'm gonna have to sort out the insurance if I ever block my back, I'd be fucked. So then I was like, okay, I, I was in the mindset of like getting closer to home, no matter what, and I, I yeah, I kind of like, I had, it. I spent the whole transcontinental, my whole experience of transcontinental was alone. Oh, I nice. Met, I met, no, that was awful. No, it's nice. I mean, uh, yeah, but I, 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 I only go to races to meet people. I, but it's I nice for other people. Nobody wants to meet you and uh, your continental <laughs> race. So that's why it was nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was like, and I was, I was so done. Ah, like, oh, fuck this shit. Like, I, you know, I, I would see the videos on the phone of people in Thessaloniki arriving. Like, I remember it was a, it was actually a, a friend. Nico and Chad, Chas, uh, Christensen, they were like arriving in uh, Thessaloniki, uh, if it's Thessaloniki or I don't remember, whatever. But uh, it just looked so gorgeous and then there was a party and I was like, fuck you all, like nobody cares, like, you're here like 2,000 kilometers behind. Like, I was like, I didn't come here to be on my own, like I can do that at home. And, and to be honest, every time I go to a bikepacking race, it's never to race anyone. It's just to chat. It's like, hi, how are you doing? Like, who are you? What's up? And like, he's like, like, yeah, because I just, I just like to meet people on, on, on those races. That's, that's what I love when we film those races. We, we just get to meet racers. And, and, and whether it's like the last, the last guys of the race or the first guys of the race, there's always like sort of like a understanding and common ground. And, and, and often like, yeah, values we share and jokes we get and like stories we have for each other and say so that was a terrible experience for that <laughs> yeah so by yourself yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah cool ryan well hey. i would say thanks a lot for the chat thank you man it was uh, super you. amazing and we know where to find you we know everything there so i mean can't wait to see your next stuff coming and you owe me a trip in Brussels to do some uh, content there together. Hell yeah, we're going to Brussels, man. Yeah, we we're need to going. do it. I think we need to we're do going. it. We're yeah, yeah. meeting with uh, with the Finnish German bike messenger, who's also an ex-pro Russian trained. And this is, you 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 love the stories over there. It's like there's crazy people in in Brussels. Yeah, like, yeah. I have yeah, already they, kind of a concept. I have already in mind. It's a bit already seen, but yeah. Maybe not talk about that in records because otherwise people will expect that we are going to do something but we're going to feel like doing it and we're going to just be there drinking beers. Yeah, we should probably cut that. <laughs> so, so we can afford to like just drink beers. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> thanks a lot, Ryan. All right, thanks, man. Thanks a lot, Ryan. It was really an awesome chat. And now, people, you know that if you're going to the YouTube channel of Ryan, you will find for sure the easiest crossing in the world. And then another amazing movie called The Length of Time about the Tour Divide. Josh is there. And then another thing that stays really close to my heart is still of the series Fail, the number 13, my favorite number, and is about the border bash. 
and uh, in Aragon, a ride that Ryan and I did together. People just go there, watch his films, because Ryan makes a lot of super amazing stories around the cycling that we really like, about exploration and about exploring something outside and inside. Thanks a lot, Ryan, for being part of this podcast. I really, 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 really loved it. And when I listen to that again, every time I will find something new that is going to make me a little richer. Well, people, you know that you can support this podcast. You know all the ways and you know also that you can share this podcast. And that's probably the thing that I like the most of what you can do. You can share this podcast with your friends, whatever way. Send an SMS if you are into that. Send an email if you are into that or share it on your social media if you are into that. But if you do that, just remember that you can tag me, Calamaro CC, and you can tag also Broom Wagon Podcast. And that's super important. And of course, also, you can mention Ryan for that. Nothing else to add for this episode. People just will talk to you next time.